0: Hello, everybody. I'm Jeff Gluck and welcome to the latest edition of the Start Your Engines podcast. This week, we have a very special guest. We are joined by Nate Ryan, formerly of USA Today Sports, my former coworker, who also has a pretty sweet podcast. Um, And we are coming to you from Martinsville Speedway. What's up, Nate? Uh, it's great to be with you, Jeff. Uh,
1: thanks for being here, and I just want to say, th- thanks for the plug, I should say, for my podcast, and uh, thanks for having me here. I just want to say that I've been binge listening on Start Your Engines this weekend on the long drive back and forth, Charlotte to, Mar- Charlotte to Martinsville, and I realize that a very high bar has been set by you and Brant James. I'm going to be try to be as witty and droll as I can be, but I'm not as funny as you two, so <laughs> let's do it.
0: we appreciate it. And of course, Nate is from NBC Sports, where he both writes and um, you can hear his voice and he, he appears on your TV set. So pretty much every conceivable form of media that NBC Sports is involved in, Nate Ryan is also involved in. So he is quite a star and we're happy to have him here. Nate, wow. As you said, I think first... Of anybody that I know, I broke this story, yes. and, and yeah, in Brand James fashion, I broke this story, man. I, I knew
1: Jimmy Johnson was good at Martinsville before anybody else did.
0: Well, you actually no, but it, it you're you're not giving yourself enough credit here because as soon as Jimmy Johnson won Charlotte at the beginning of the last round. You
1: said Jimmy Johnson is a cinch to make the championship round, and that was because of his sterling record at Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix. I mean, he hadn't won here in three years. That, that was sort of astounding in of itself. But if he hadn't gotten the job done today— He's won the, the four November races in a row at Texas. He'll be the favorite next week, guaranteed. So when he won at Charlotte two weeks ago, it dawned on me then. I, the only reason Jimmy Johnson hasn't raced for a championship in the very short time this format's been around is because he hasn't made the round of eight. And now that he's in the round of eight, he is a lead pipe cinch any year you put him in a round with these three tracks to advance. And um, frequently I am wrong in my predictions
0: why I'm that steadfast and bold, but happy to say not this time. He uh, He delivered. Yes, Nate, you were exactly correct, um, and that's that's impressive. Honestly, Nate, I wasn't sure if I totally believed you on this one because just so many crazy things happen. You know, I mean, look at him at, at Dover last year. I mean, you just never know when some crazy things can happen. So I'm so hesitant to say, "Oh yeah, this guy's going for sure." I'm still hesitant to even say Kevin Harvick is for sure going to win uh, Phoenix, even though that seems like we all think that's probably going to happen. But it's it's just kind of a crazy deal um, in this chase where it's like, sometimes it's unpredictable. Sometimes it's actually quite predictable, you know?
1: It's predictable and like it's unpredictability in a way. And that like, you know, where is Kevin Harvick after Martinsville? He's got him right where he wants them. Twenty, <laughs> He finished 20th today, baby, which means, I mean, Phoenix is his firewall and he's won i think five of six there and finished second in the other race since they changed that track no one has has been in his zip code so i still think that essentially what you have here are is what i wrote three weeks ago at charlotte you have six guys scrambling for two spots and four of those guys play for the same team and they weren't playing very nicely According to one of them, the defending series champion Kyle Busch, who was unhappy with Denny Hamlin. I think that the fissures that you sort of saw today at Joe Gibbs Racing were somewhat of a manifestation of the acknowledgement of the reality that not only is it mathematically impossible now for all four cars to to advance to Homestead Miami Speedway. I think it's is looking bleak for maybe even three. It's probably two, I think, is going to be is going to be good. For, i i don't i don't see three jgr cars making it
0: well i'm i might eyebrows raised uh, almost the top of the room because given your um record of predictions so far this round i feel like i should listen to you <laughs> and here i was thinking oh maybe jgr cars can get the other three spots and now you're saying mm, not so fast so i don't know it's i i know you did talk to kyle bush after the race so um and, and I didn't get a chance to do that. What, what was your impression of what he had to say about his teammates? Cause I didn't really see what he was so upset about.
1: Yeah. And, and Denny Hamlin, the, the teammate he was most upset with also struggled to, to see Kyle's point of view and was also uh, puzzled about it. Uh, essentially what the, the argument Kyle was making was they, it wasn't as if they could have stopped Jimmy Johnson today, but they made his pathway to victory lane easier because they didn't as a team work it out. And after, that last restart, um, figure out, hey, which of us is, is fastest and going to go catch Jimmy. And and Kyle felt the slowest of the JGR cars of those three was Denny Hamlin, and, and he finished third, um, ahead of Matt Kenseth in fourth and Kyle Busch in fifth, the other two JGR cars. And so Kyle thought Kenseth had the fastest of the JGR cars. He was second, and he felt like Hamlin held them up too much and should have allowed them to, I guess, Make a plan, but this is the problem. As we've discussed ad nauseum, you and I have, and, and many others. When when you start talking about teammates working together in NASCAR, this is where this thing starts to implode. When you when it's it's great on Tuesdays and debriefs, or in at in some team holler on a Saturday when you're all trying to share information on what setups work and what what suspension parts to try, it's great then. But put them in the heat of battle with a hundred laps to go with a berth for the championship on the line and it's not going to work out the way you intend.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you go from um, one week ago and everything like that. And uh, the the next, the very next week they come here at one point they're all, they were all running one, two, three. And I'm thinking, do they realize that only one of them can advance to homestead automatically? Like, like you're saying, I mean, it's like, it's not going to work out. It's right. it's not going to hold. And and Kyle Busch even had a snarky comment along those lines, like, oh, you know, great team we are or something like that. JGR
1: strong or something like
0: that. JGR <laughs> strong. <laughs> so now, you know, yeah, now it's kind of interesting. I think it does make it a little bit easier on them in, in a weird way that Carl Edwards had a bad day. You know, oh, the other three of us will just make it. Right. Sorry, Carl. But obviously it's not going to be that simple because you never know what's going to happen at Texas. Um, you never know what's going to happen after that. But, you know, the thing is, it, when you look at Kevin Harvick's situation, if we're counting on him, all of a sudden there's one less spot available on points because I'm assuming he's not going to points race his way back into it. He's 16 points out. So that further complicates the situation. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, well, that's exactly why I think that their chances significantly dwindled of not just four guys, but three uh, getting through the championship round. Uh, my pre-chase pick to win the playoffs, which I might might be yours too, Denny Hamlin, is that your championship pick?
0: I got to say, Nate, I, I picked Martin Truex Jr. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, that's
1: right. All right. Well, at least you didn't pick Danica Patrick like Brant did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Obviously, if you're a long time listener to this podcast, hopefully you got that inside joke. That was my one attempt conjuring humor here. Um, but yeah, let's um, l- let's see how this shakes out of Texas. But I-, I think the other interesting angle here and in, in Knauss... Jack House and Jimmy were, were asked about this afterward, and they're, they're kind of reticent to discuss it too much. I think it might be because they've never really been in this position so much. It's Sometimes they play their cards close to the vest and, and are very calculating, I think, about what they say without coming off that way. I think in this case, they haven't really thought this through so much, but we have because we've seen it. I mean, Jimmy can win Texas and essentially not just essentially effectively deny somebody from advancing to Homestead-Miami Speedway and now you've got Phoenix turned into even more of a free for all in my opinion because you've got the bull uh as Delena uh his wife likes to call him Kevin Harvick man on a mission who's been unbeatable there and then you have six other really desperate people Who are trying to get to the championship round on points. And it could just, we we could see a replay. And what we've discussed has been a little bit of a quiet playoffs so far, Jeff. We we could see a return. And I think um, it would be a good thing for NASCAR if if we did, of Phoenix two years ago when Newman knocked aside Larson to claim that last spot.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, the points could definitely be interesting. And it could be more than just uh, uh, will Kevin Harvick win Phoenix or not race? Because that could be the whole thing at that point. I want to dive into the Jimmy aspect of it really quick. and um, We can start by talking about the question I asked that totally bombed. I don't know if you were in there for that. exactly. What I said was, yeah, no, I, I basically asked him, you know, he, he had said on Friday, hey, look, there's no favorites. You know, I think a lot of people would consider you a favorite. I think he's a favorite at this point because of, you know, all the experience he brings. I mean, who's going to want to go up against the 48 team in the championship i don't care if you're harvick or gibbs car whoever i was trying nate you would do it a lot better than i would i I did come on you know better than to
1: praise me you've already you've already praised me far too
0: much on this podcast this is the truth okay you're a humble guy but anyway so i was hoping that he would sort of take the bait and and i was asking if you know he planned to play any mind games because in the past he said oh you know uh man these guys they don't know what they're in for or i was hoping he'd say some, you know, give us some sort of little bit of trash talker. hey, we're going to be tough to beat. We've been there. Something to to show that maybe he does a little bit think he's the favorite or that they're going to be strong there, but no. Like, not at all. Oh, well, man, it's just so hard to predict. Yeah. Um, you know, he really didn't bite on that. He kind of made my my column harder to write because it's like, oh, you know, there's a lot of, we'll have to go, to, go and do stuff we've never done there before, which is perform really well at Homestead and I'm like, oh great, this is not going very well, you know. But is so is he sawing himself short, is he being humble like you? I, I think it's just you nailed. It. I mean it's the essence
1: of Jimmy Johnson. It's it's tough to get good answers out of him when you ask him to, to play Muhammad Ali and 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 talk down his competition and pound his chest. He's actually said this before that when he when he attempts to do that, it usually backfires on him. Just the way your question. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure the <laughs> yeah. question was fine, man. Like and, and I think it, that the answer is revelatory in that sense. Um, two things. One, I think there might be a small slice of him that is thinking. Uh, he hasn't won Homestead Miami Speedway, even though I think the key thing there is that the 48 rarely has had to win. I think partially the reason they haven't won at Homestead Miami Speedway is because a lot of times they win in there protecting a points lead, and you're unlikely to come out with a victory no matter how good your car is if you're just worried about playing defense, and that happened certainly more than a few times during his six championships. The other thing is I would say I t- attempted to get Danny Hamlin to play along the same way, and I also failed. Uh, and saying, you know, isn't this a double blow for Joe Gibbs racing that not only did you learn today, you're not going to have all four of your cars in the championship around the cap, this dream season. Now you learn that whichever cars make it, they're going to face the guy who's won six championships. Like good luck with that. And Denny kind of gave a dismissive answer, which I think par- probably stems from the fact that we might have a little bit of a brewing feud here. Finally. Um, among a couple of guys who generally seem to like each other, but you know, you know, you know, we you, I think, stand and I stand and many of us stand on this Viva hate. I mean, it's good to have this kind of contentiousness that has been missing a little bit, I think through the first six races of the chase so far this year, but maybe we'll see it building.
0: Well, I, I asked any Hamlin on Pitt pit road before he came in the media center, you know, about, about Jimmy, the same thing. And he's like, I said, how much of a threat is he going to be now? Well, he's one of four guys that's going to be there. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like totally
1: dismissive of, well, you know, he's a guy who might tie Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty for most championships ever. NBD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And oh, by the way, the last time Denny Hamlin didn't win the championship and came this close, who was the guy who took it away from him? Jimmy Johnson.
0: Right. But that's so, that's uh, that's like a lifetime ago now. uh, I'm sure he thinks. No, but then I asked Joey Logano something similar and he's like, oh. Well, yeah, you know, it's the forty-eight. Of course, they're going to be a threat. But really, I don't think people were saying that until relatively recently. Like even the start of the chase, it's not like, hey, Jimmy's one of the ones to watch. It was well, Truex, the JGR cars, Harvick, you know, oh maybe one of the Penske cars. Oh yeah, I guess Jimmy, Jimmy possibly because you know, of course, pre-Chicago, Jimmy was nothing. Right. So now they're act. Everybody's acting like, well, yeah, of course, but. That, that wasn't the case, right? I
1: think that in a way that the summer slump that the 48 went through was deceptively advantageous for this reason. Because they have somehow a six-time champion has snuck into the playoffs and become the overwhelming favorite. And uh, I, I think that the competition still is trying to wrap its head around him being a competitor. I think you're right, Jeff. I mean, they were, they were nowhere for – after he won his second race back at, what, Vegas – or you no know, at Fontana I think in March and they were completely out of the out of the picture for for four or five months and now suddenly they are they're right where they were six years ago and, and there's a I think there's a lot of whistling past the graveyard going on right now now in the garage and a lot of denial about how good that team is because I think that they were written off so early this year and that might be working in the favor of Jimmy Johnson and checking us right now
0: well, I think in some ways, if, you know, if you're if you in the garage, it kind of goes against the narrative. And I think it goes against um, the history of racing because we, we tend to look at things as um, the, a season-long thing. So who's been the best all year? Even though this format completely de-emphasizes that, we still look at it, well, the 78's been the best car all year. Or in recent years, the, the 4 has been the best car all year. Well, now you you have a certain amount of favorites. Then all of a sudden, Jimmy's there, and you're like, "Where have you been the whole time?" No, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win. It. We're, we've been, our cars have been fast the whole time. What, what have you guys been doing? You're not gonna, you're not considered to be one of the elite guys, one of the favorites. So I think there is some maybe some level of underestimation, but I think when they're sitting on the stage at Homestead and they realize, "Oh man, uh, Jimmy Johnson's going for his seventh, and we have to beat him." And he and Chad Canales, the best of all time, both of them going up against us. Oh man, this is going to be hard. I don't care who. I don't care if it's Harvick or what. The 48 team in my mind is going to be the team to beat.
1: I, that's where I think you're right. That might be where really reality creeps in and in, in an unsettling way, and they realize like what kind of predicament they're truly facing here. And let's not forget, like I, I don't think for doubt for a second that the fact that Johnson won Charlotte. And then Chad Knauss had two weeks to do all the massaging he wanted to on this car. I don't think he would fully admit that. I think he admitted a little bit today, which surprised me a little bit. That made a difference. So now the, the, the maybe the best driver-crew chief combination in history has a two-week start on the championship and the other three contenders, we don't know who they are yet. They don't know who they are yet. And again, like if Johnson can win at Texas and maintain that uncertainty for another week, or if really if any non-chase driver wins and that uncertainty lingers for another week, it just, it, it just benefits the 48 even more. The one thing I think they can hang on to again is Homestead Miami Speedway, despite the fact that it's where he has been crowned six times. It hasn't always been—I um, wouldn't say—house of horrors for Jimmy Johnson, but it's—he hasn't—he he hasn't won there, and I, I think that might be some sort of lingering <laughs> rallying cry that the the three unfortunate souls who are going to have to try to wrest that championship away from him in Canales will will have to have to take to heart.
0: All right, rapid fire on this one. I'll just ask you whether this person's chances are done or not, and um, you just say. They are. Or they aren't. Kurt Busch done. Carl Edwards done. Okay, I agree with both those. I think they are done. Disappointing for Kurt. I thought he would have a better showing.
1: Yeah, I, this is a weird place for him, Jeff. Like he's he's won twice here, but he still goes into like self defeating mode a lot here. He he still thinks that he he just doesn't know how to get around this place. I think some weekends and they just they were just were never in the ball game, which is surprising because when he's on here, as he proved. In that memorable comeback win two years ago over uh, when Keslowski took the side of his car off. Um, when he's on here, he's, he's unbeatable, but uh, he clearly wasn't this weekend.
0: And also disappointing for Edwards because um, he was going to finish top three, I mean, the whole day, and then he just blows a tire, um, and he's not good at Martinsville, and all of a sudden he was going to have like, oh, he was going to put himself in really good shape, and he, I'm, he's getting to the point where his years are going to start dwindling as far as when he can win a championship. I mean, he doesn't have any,
1: he's in his late thirties. And I'm sure that much like a biological clock for someone, for a woman uh, who's nearing the end of her reproductive years, like uh, that, that, that's the problem for a lot of these guys who are in existence. We've heard Denny Hamlin say this about being in the Jimmy Johnson era. These guys who, you know, Denny Hamlin, Carl Edwards, um who am i missing there's there's a few others out there that they would have won championships probably in in any other certainly those two guys maybe more than any any others and i think you're right a a day like today had to just be demoralizing
0: for edwards so kevin harvick we've already agreed um not done joey Logano,
1: done sorry team penske i i think that i mean not to like spill the soup here and ruin the surprise but um my four now are johnson harvick kyle bush and denny hamlin
0: So that's, I kind of feel bad for Joey Logano. I mean, I talked to him after the race on pit road. The only reason they finished 11th or wherever they were. um, And I think he's four points out now, but the only reason they finished so far back was they got, they were a victim of Edwards blowing the tire. Then they took the wave around and they had to start behind all those cars with a scoring snafu that we'll get to in a second here. Um, And then, so he started so far back he was like 15 cars behind the nearest position that he could actually advance. So he spent the entire rest of the race just getting within sight of the cars that he could pass for a position. His race was pretty much over. He couldn't go anywhere. He just had to maintain circumstances again.
1: I, I think circumstances to some degree, but I think that that's also indicative of the plight of team Penske this year. I think that Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski have overachieved maybe more than any other team in Sprint Cup this season. I think it's evident in the fact that where they have six victories between them, but if you look at where the wins come, in Daytona, Talladega, Talladega, Kentucky for Keselowski on a fuel mileage gamble, Uh, they maximized their opportunities to win at tracks where speed isn't always like the primary determining factor. And so I think the fact that I, Logano did really well this weekend and that team put forth a great effort, but I feel like that might've been as good as they could be. You know, all things being equal, I don't know if they get a top five, if every, you know, I don't know if they can break that Toyota, Johnson chuggernaut, and, and get up there. I I think that, you know, best in class might be the way to describe it. And I think Penske should be proud of this year. Logano and Kozlowski have had great seasons, but I don't think they were ever going to be championship worthy. It was going to take a lot of luck to get there.
0: That's very interesting. If only Logano had had the, the way that worked out for Kozlowski today, who, who ends up finishing second, I'm sure he would rather have that situation, especially because Kozlowski kept letting him in at, at certain points, but it's just a, just one of those weird deals. Um, let's talk about the scoring thing. Not too much because we actually said to you during the race. You want to be nice to NASCAR? <laughs> yeah. No, not because of that. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely not because of that. No, because um, I, I said we're, we're going to lose a lot of listeners here because it's so like dense. What was happening? I mean, you get so far down into the minutia. I think people are just like, "What?" Like it's even, even as it's happening, and you're and the, the NBC people are trying um, valiantly to explain what's going on. I'm like, "Wait, I, I don't really get what's happening here." You know? Yeah, I I
1: think the one thing that we can agree on is that, and Steve O'Donnell hinted at this on Twitter. If they would have known how long it was going to take, they should have just thrown a red flag because uh, you shouldn't have 29 laps of caution on a half mile track for a one car incident that's embarrassing and it looks really bad in a box score and if you're the self-proclaimed number one motor racing sanctioning body in this country you can't allow things like that to happen there has to be accountability for that there has to be um, due diligence done to ensure it doesn't happen again it's not surprising that an instance like that can pop up because things kind of are so tricked up with wave arounds and if a caution comes out in the middle of a green flag cycle like that, and then you have to figure out who's beating who the line. But today we just saw like next level uh, type, just mass chaos with cars two laps down, you know, trying to lobby for being in fifth place. Um, it, was, it was, yeah, beyond reason. And I think that that's, that's one, if NASCAR could do it again, I'm sure they would've just stopped it.
0: What I didn't really like was afterwards, Richard Buck came out to talk, who's the, the Cup Series director, and he kept saying, well, you know, it's a dynamic situation and, and we're not going to get into specifics. And a bunch of us asked tried to ask specifics and he he's just like, Oh, we're not gonna get into specifics. I don't want to get into specifics. Um we're we're gonna talk about it with the teams. But NASCAR, I feel like they they kind of owe more of an explanation than they than they gave. And you know, this situation was to me worse than the All-Star race, which was very confusing and very troubling. Now The one thing that's good for NASCAR is none of this, I think, came back to bite them. Ultimately, the way it ended up, the way it finished, that's probably how it would have been anyway. I mean, you know, even the Kevin Harvick thing where, you know, Hamlin's team was upset that he got his lap back or whatever, or a lap back, he still finished, I think, 20th. And even if he had lost one more lap, he would have only been one position behind. So, that ultimately they it didn't really have an impact that I think it could have been. And that would have been bad.
1: Yeah. Well, what's scary is it. Yeah. You're right. It didn't affect the running order. Uh, and it could have been a lot worse, but you're right. Like it, this was more mind boggling, boggling, um, impenetrable than the all-star race was. And the all-star race, we understood that was difficult because you had segments, you had these weird rules about when you had to pit and all these, that one made, there, there was a logical explanation why that one got so just, blown out to the point of just incomprehension. This happened during the course of a regular race. And that's what's scary. And granted, this is a short track. So it might be different than on a mile and a half speedway, but lest we forget the Xfinity championship a few years ago, team Penske still feels like Sam Hornish jr. Didn't win it because of a 13 lap caution. I believe toward the end of that race, that was for a cleanup problem. But if you had another situation like that with an extended caution, trying to figure out running order, it could have championship implications. And that's why it's it's something that NASCAR really, really, to your point, it would be nice if we got more transparency in the immediate aftermath. But hopefully they're doing a lot of work here to do their homework and try to figure out and explain like why this happened.
0: Uh, Jeff Gordon's last race, how did he do you um, do? This is embarrassing. I don't even have the finishing result in front of me. Wait, top 10? oh yeah no no he he, it was it was a good run I was just saying overall like how did you feel like his day went I guess I I think it went really well Uh,
1: I, I think you know he was at one point when JGR was one, two, three. he was frequently fourth or fifth and I thought it was funny Rick Hendrick coming in here afterward and joking about you know Gordon told us on Friday in response to Bob Pachris's question about like is this really your last race you know he's like ask Rick Hendrick and Rick Hendrick said well yeah ask me I get to decide and I think that's it's funny, but I think it's also like an immense amount of respect between a team owner and a four-time champion that Rick Hendrick would not put Jeff Gordon in the car if he didn't think he could still excel. And today proved why Rick Hendrick said, um, hey, it's why he called him as soon as Dale Earnhardt Jr. was out. And that's why he said, if you can be here at the Brickyard, the, the, the second race that Junior is out, I want you in the car to Indianapolis.
0: Yeah, I think Gordon had a very respectable day. And overall, um I you know, he didn't have many top 10s in in his return yeah. in his in his little stint, but I think he it was respectable. I mean, he he didn't have any experience with the new package. He didn't have any experience working with that team. You know, he wasn't in rhythm. It's just get in the car after being out of race shape, so to speak, you know, enjoying the TV booth life and just to jump in. I don't think it took anything away from his legacy this year. I don't think he did anything to make people go Man, it's it's time for that guy to be out of. And I think, like you said, Rick Hendrick, kind of at the end, was like, you know, they were leaving people wanting more. Still, I think people he he if if this was really it, he leaves people saying he could still get it done. He's just choosing to walk away. It's not one of those situations where you know you've had some veterans and, and you're like, boy, that's they are, they've overstayed their welcome. You know.
1: Yeah, I think there was some hesitance. We heard it, and and when Gordon talked on Friday about coming back here. Because he had won here the year before, and I don't think he wanted to to tarnish that memory at all. And it's funny because when he used to talk, when he first announced his retirement beginning of 2015, he was saying he might want to come back for a few one-off races, and this would be one of them. And I think today we saw why this would have been high on his list. If NASCAR would allow dispensation for Hendrick to, to run a fifth car, the, the Jeff Gordon special at Martinsville twice a year. Hell, I, I, I think it would be a great idea if Jeff Gordon wanted to come back and just run a couple of races a year, a, a season here and a fifth,
0: um, Hendrick prepared car. I, I think, Hey, more power to him. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Only five cautions today. And it kind of continues a trend of this chase has been oddly uneventful in, in strange ways. I mean, this is the fewest cautions at a Martinsville race since 1989 Obviously a far cry from last year's Martinsville race. what's going on, Nate? I think guys have learned
1: that when you're eight laps or nine laps down don't wreck the leader with 40 to go <laughs> that, is, that is quite a lesson yeah uh, amazing how, how that took root no um, I think I think you're onto something Jeff that and we've talked about it and I know you talked about it on this podcast that the, the first round is supposed to be a little quieter it's it's not supposed to have the the high drama. And there were probably premature questions asked this year when we didn't have a lot of the drama we had, maybe the the first two years in those first three races. Um, But I think as the the chase is unwound here, the the second round, there was a little less drama and this race, you're right. it's, it's highly unusual to see this kind of race at Martinsville, especially with so much on the line. And I think it's hard not to point to this being year three and the guys figuring out how this playoff structure works. And I mean, in some ways it was a continuation of Talladega with what the three Gibbs, you know, say what you will about that strategy and how you feel about it. But that strategy got the three Gibbs cars into the round of eight and it was the smart strategy and, and teams pay attention to what other teams are doing and they see like, Hey, if they're doing it, you know, why force the issue? And um I mean, there's still going to be instances where guys have problems or mechanical failures or even make mistakes. But I think that there has been a different tenor. Do, do you think so? It feels it's that way, at least.
0: Yeah, I, I do. And I think people have realized, even in this round, to some extent, you know, there will be spots that come down to points. And as long as you don't have the terrible finishes, you know, I think you can still points race a little bit more than, more than everybody thought you could at the beginning of this format, the first couple of years where everybody was going all out and, and dashing for these positions. And as anything, you know, like you said, you kind of learn it, you kind of learn the system, you learn how the rhythm goes, the strategy. And I think that's probably what's happening. I, I do think Nate, you point out on this podcast, being an avid listener that a, a few weeks ago here, I was insistent that uh there was the action was about to pick up and I was definitely wrong, but I still do think it's going to get exciting. I'm not sure when cuz I th- I would have thought Martinsville, but Phoenix is your trump card now. If
1: you get that Johnson victory at Texas or a victory by a non-Chase driver and then we go to Phoenix and Harvick is like whomping the field with like if with 40 laps to go if Kevin Harvick is, you know, 5 second lead checked out on everybody and then you have two slots left and I don't know all six of those remaining guys obviously edwards wouldn't really be in the equation but i don't know maybe he would after texas who knows if they're all like bunched up from like say i don't know third to ninth or something maybe again there's hope here for potentially the the ryan newman kyle larson body slam on the last lap that like just had us all agog a couple of years ago none of us were expecting that i think that there could be the potential for those kinds of fireworks at phoenix maybe
0: well, Nate, we really appreciate you joining us. I'm glad that we were able to merge podcasts here because um, I'm a big fan of your NBC podcast as well. I think it's available at all the same places that, that Start Your Engines is iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom. And I, I think there's room for both podcasts in the NASCAR world. So we appreciate you uh, joining us and, uh, and being a listener of this one as well. Uh,
1: pleasure to be here. And as I said, I am an avid
0: listener, loyal fan, have been since its inception last year. Love
1: Start Your Engines. And yes, um, definitely room for two NASCAR podcasts. But let's hold the line there. You should only listen to Start Your Engines and the NASCAR NBC podcast. Nothing else.
0: Deal. That's all I listen to anyway. All right, Nate, we appreciate it. I'm Jeff Gluck, everybody. Brant James will be with you next week at Texas Motor Speedway on Start Your Engines. We'll talk to you guys then. Thanks so much.